0: Morning all, it's again. game. Um, we're going to look at, at uh, a story that uh, is recorded for us in John chapter 2 and it's uh, a story of uh, and a miracle where something really ordinary encounters God who is beyond ordinary, and that the encounters God is totally transformed. I think I've just summarised the message, so we could just stop for coffee if you like, because ultimately we're saying is that an encounter with God transforms everything, everything and, and everyone. If you have an encounter with God, you will have, just like a testimony, a testimony that people bring. And somebody, when they come and they ask for baptism, ah, baptism! Amazing how we can fit that in. We are going to have a baptism service the last Sunday of October. I've been approached by two people asking for baptism. So we've looked into that and we have... uh, had a few negotiations with some family who would like to be with us, and we're going for, I think it's the 28th, 28th of October. So, uh, baptism. When people come forward for baptism, when people say, you know, I've come into this place where I, I, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, I know how much he loves me, but I want to walk out in the fullness of all he's got for me, and therefore, when Jesus says, believe and be baptized, I believe I believe, and therefore I need to be baptised. It's partly an act of obedience, but it's also an act of encounter. It's when Jesus was baptised. As he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And at that point, he heard uh, his father's voice saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So the baptism isn't just a wet witness that we talk about. It's not just uh, proving something that's happened, but it's also an opportunity of encounter. Anyway, that's a little bit of a side. 28th of October is uh, baptism. Have you been baptised? There's a question. Have you been baptised? If you have been baptised, then we rejoice with you. If you have not been baptised and you know and love Jesus, then 28th of October, this will be an ideal opportunity for you to encounter God in a new way. The thing about it is, is usually what we have is we have testimonies. Testimonies at a baptism. And what we do with a testimony, when somebody says, well, what is a testimony? A testimony is, uh, this is what I was like before. I had an encounter with God, how that happened, and how am I different afterwards. So the testimony talks about my past, my point of encounter with God, and into my present and onto the future, the difference it makes. And the thing about it is is that today we're just looking at a little story about a number of people who went to a wedding, but in the middle of this wedding there was a catastrophe where God stepped in, touched something, and transformed it. I was like this, I met God, and now this is me. And it's always a journey of revelation and glory and God honouring. I love it, love it, love it, love it. So it starts off, here's how it starts off. It starts off, um, on the third day, a wedding took place. Ah, weddings, weddings, weddings. Ernest, where's Ernest? Ernest, where are you? Are you here? Ernest. Ernest! What's happening next Saturday? A wedding. And who's getting married? you to Inga. Okay. So we're going to... (laughs) Brilliant. So uh, Ernest, because Inga's not here, she's down at St. Michael's today or something. Yeah, she's she's singing in the choir. We'll let her do that. That's cool. Do you want to just stand up there? And uh, and what's going to happen is uh, Roy's going to stand beside you. Do you want to stand next to... Next to Ernest, that's cool. And then Darshan can stand the other side of you and put a hand on you. Okay, and can we all just turn towards Ernest with our hands, point them out towards him. We're praying for Ernest. Father God, we want to speak blessing over Ernest and Inga in this coming week of uh, preparations for the great day next Saturday. We pray that you will go before them, that everything that needs to be organised will fit into place perfectly. We want to speak a, a smooth transition through this week to this great day of celebration next Saturday. And we want to ask, Father, for your great uh, awareness of your your blessing and your presence with Ernest and Inga as they commit their lives together uh, next Saturday. Would you oversee all of these last days of preparation? But even more so, Lord, would you be absolutely evident in everything that goes on on Saturday and into the rest of their lives as a married couple? Pour out your blessing, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Sorry to put you on the spot, but hey, happy wedding for next Saturday. (laughs) And and if you're free, then do pop down, because by law, you can't not allow people to go to a wedding. Did you know that? You are invited. Everybody in this country is invited to every wedding. Did you know that? One of the rules that you have um, overseeing a wedding is that you're not allowed to lock doors. The reason being is there's a point in the service where the service leader says, does anybody know of any reason why this couple can't be married? And if you restrict people, that means that that somebody who may have a reason why they shouldn't get married wouldn't be able to get in. So you're not allowed to lock doors. Anybody is welcome. Um, Not that you've got any dodgy info on Ernest and Inga. That's fine. But just go and celebrate. Go and celebrate. Stand at the back and and sing with them and uh, enjoy that celebration. That's next Saturday at what time? One o'clock. One o'clock. So you can whip round Festival Place, do your shopping, slip across the road, out by the um, Marks and Spencers exit and then you're straight in there for one. On the third day... (laughs) Let's have a look. 27 minutes past. On the third day... A wedding took place uh, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples also been invited to the wedding. When the wine wine was gone, Jesus' mum said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby there stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from. So the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everybody brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This was the first of his miraculous signs that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Do we all know that story? Okay. So it's very, very familiar. Well, something happens on the third day. Anybody got any ideas what third day, why that could be significant? Say it loud. Resurrection. Resurrection. Do you remember Jesus died um, and he was placed in a tomb and then three days later he rose again. So what we've got here is we've got John. John, the beloved. John is the disciple who we read about in scripture who laid his head against Jesus' chest. He reclined against him. Uh, This is um, the disciple that spoke about himself as the one whom Jesus loved. So John, intimate with Jesus. And therefore when he starts to write this story he pulls out important aspects of Jesus' life on earth, to make sure that the message, the good news of God's love, the gospel message, is extremely clear. Three days. Jesus is alive. He's he's not died yet, but later on, we will see that he does die. And after three days. Three days is a period of time that speaks about renewal. Three days is a period of time that talks about fresh beginnings. Three days, it says here in Hosea, Hosea is a a minor prophet in the Old Testament. It says, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us, that we might live in his presence. So there's a prophetic word that's going out that says, after three days, life will never be the same again. Here, it starts off with a story about a wedding. And in this wedding, the people who arrive, who are significant, arrive after three days. After three days, the people at the wedding celebration have no idea that they are in the presence of God. We are in his presence. They have no idea. But it's the start of... Renewal. Restoration. It's a start of God taking what he created and bringing it back to how he'd always promised it to be. After three days. This took place in a place called Cana in Galilee. And I love this as well. This is quite interesting. It's the fact that in John's Gospel between now chapter 2 and chapter 11 we have seven signs, seven significant miracles, seven encounters that speak of who Jesus is and the mission that he is here to fulfil. And here in chapter 2 we start off, this is the first, a first miracle, a first miracle that happens after three days. Oh, there's so many analogies that seem to fit together brilliantly here. Three days, Jesus turns up with his buddies and something miraculous starts to happen. Jesus turns up with... If you go back, because the preceding chapter is chapter 1, and as you follow through the beginnings of chapter 1, you'll start to see that John paints a picture of Jesus gathering together those who are going to follow him. By this point in time, chapter 2... His disciples had grown to five. Five disciples plus Jesus, six. We might find some significance in that in a few moments' time. So Jesus turns up. Jesus turns up with his disciples. It's on the third day. The message of restoration, renewal has begun. Now, here's something as well. Ernest is really privileged because uh, the wedding that's taking place, I don't know all of the ins and outs of the wedding, but I, I was involved in a wedding in the summer. And uh, one of the great things is that with Western weddings, the prominent person is the bride. Yeah? We get together, we all wait in a church, and the last person to arrive is the bride and then we stand and there 's the groom is at the front, and he looks back and makes sure it 's the right person and, and that sort of stuff in eastern culture it 's the other way around the significant person here is the is the groom, and the thing about it as well is the fact that it was down to the groom and his family to pay for everything, which is why I'm so pleased I've got boys, but I'm also pleased that I'm living in the Western culture. Although I was thinking about that this week and, and working out um, the finances of a wedding of my son in the summer and just stop for a moment and just say, God, you have been so good. You've put the right people in the right place at the right time. Somebody had a back garden big enough to put up a marquee that we got given by the church where Josh worked. We got chairs to go around tables that were bought off of eBay. And uh, just to be a little bit... I mean, we're trying to be a little bit different, but also cheap. And uh, 100 chairs off of eBay uh, at £3 each, which worked out cheaper than you could actually hire the chairs. And, um, and then we have able to get rid of them afterwards as, as well. But actually, the thing about it is, when two people get together, and two people commit their lives to one another, in the presence of God, which I think is the most important thing, Jesus being invited, everything just comes together smoothly. I've married people, I've married people in some really interesting places. I've married people on the top of uh, Beachy Head, near Eastbourne, out on the cliffs. They wanted to get closer because they wanted wedding photographs, have the ceremony with the uh, lighthouse in the background. But I have this sort of thing that happens inside of me. I think it's this—it's um, a God-given I want to live sense, and I don't like getting too close to the edge of things. It's uh, one of those things. So I don't—I didn't like going to the edge. But we—I've done that. I've done—I've done weddings in pubs. There's a, a couple who who met together in a local pub and they wanted to get married in that place because it was a place of significance for them. It doesn't actually matter where people get married, but the important thing is that you invite Jesus to the wedding, just as it happens here. Because when Jesus is at the wedding, something significantly spectacular happens. It's not just about promises to one another. It's about a God-honoring covenant in the presence of God himself. Cool. I love weddings. Here's a wedding going on. Jesus has come to this wedding. He's brought his disciples. There's a problem. Within a few moments, there is a problem. The problem is, when the wine had gone, the wine has now disappeared. And, you know, for most people uh, in the East, 2,000 years ago, pretty much as in the West today, the importance of a good time revolved around the fact that there was wine. I've been to a number of weddings where people didn't have wine. And I think the really important thing to remember is you don't need to have alcohol, as it were, but you need to have joy. And one of the things the, the Eastern weddings is that I've seen so often is there is so much joy and excitement. And in this situation, part of that may have come from the fact that uh, people were drinking. But the wine has now Gone. And I do wonder to myself how significant that the wine has now disappeared with Jesus and his disciples turning up. I wonder if those six coming into the celebration that may have been going for a few days already, those six turning up, that's it. We're done. We're out of wine. Which may have been the reason why Mary decides, that's Jesus' mother, that she is going to step in. Because one wonders for a moment, why, why the significance of Mary? Maybe this wedding was the wedding of one of his brothers or sisters. We read about them later on in scripture. Maybe this is a family wedding. This is why Mary has stepped in. It seems that it's her role, her responsibility. So she goes to her eldest and says to him, something very simple, we have no more wine. Look what happens next, though. Jesus makes it very, very clear that this is not the time. Uh, This is the perfect time. Actually, this is the perfect time, Jesus says, Mary, maybe. We've got no wine, and therefore, I'm telling you about it. But he turns it around and says, look, this is not my time. You see, for Mary, Jesus has now left home She may have picked up that in the previous chapter, Jesus has had an encounter with John the Baptist. He's been baptised. She may have heard the rumours of what happened in the water and thought, this is it, my son. The words that I learned when angels visited me, when people at the temple spoke to me about my son... Maybe this is the time when it all comes to fruition. This is the time where the words of the Messiah being spoken about my Jesus are going to become a reality. So Jesus is there and Mary goes up to him and says to him, we have no more wine. We've got no more wine. But what's really interesting is that Jesus comes back and says... Dear woman, now that's a firm of a, a, a comment, a, a statement of affection. When he's on the cross and he speaks to John about the care of his mum, he talks about the woman. This is not a, a sarcastic comment, this is a comment of deep affection and honor. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. You see, signs and wonders, miracles, These are the fruit of the Messiah. The one who is coming to restore the world will perform those encounters with people and with the elements around. There will be miracles and signs and wonders. And Mary steps in, and it's as if she says, can you do something, because I know that you are meant to do something. And then Jesus says, look, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's something that's going to happen that's going to completely transform the whole of the world. But it's not turning water into wine. It's when I give myself upon a cross. That's when it's all going to turn around. Today's not the day. Yet here, she believes that she has a right as the mum to say to her son, can you help? Can you help me out? And I love the beautiful way that there's no conversation and debating going on, but Mary just turns to the, 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 the servants and just says, it's really simple, doesn't it? Just do whatever he says. Just do whatever Jesus says. In our Bible studies, in our life groups, what we're doing is we're looking at a model, a way of reading scripture that allows God to speak to us as individuals. There's going to be things that are going to come out of God's word as we spend time in life groups and we look at familiar passages that one will see one thing and somebody else will see something else. But the really important thing is that you do whatever he tells you. When it's highlighted, do it. You know, sometimes God might just put his finger on something and say, it's about time you stopped doing that. And therefore, obedience says, Lord, you've highlighted it, you've put your finger on it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stop it. Or maybe God might say, it's about time you started doing that. I remember the first time God spoke to me about giving. I, I used to just carry some loose change in my pocket when I used to go to church, and when the bag used to come around, I used to, you know... It was a token. Well, it really wasn't a token, because it was, had no representative uh, identity with anything that I earned, and how much I loved Jesus. What we do here is we say, we bring our gifts, we bring our tithes, our offerings, we put them in the box at the back, if we're bringing them week by week, or we send them through the the banking system. I just want to stop for a moment. Father God, I want to thank you for those who commit week by week to honour you with their finances. I want to thank you, Lord, for every individual who recognises, Lord, that you're building your kingdom with the resources that you have given to us. Thank you for everyone who tithes, who gives their offering week by week. And thank you, Lord, for what you're doing with those gifts and with the givers, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do whatever he tells you to do. For me, uh, there was a challenge. A challenge was, can you just look at your finances, Dave? And could you start to give in response to the one who has enabled you to earn? And I started to give. I started to give them regularly. And after giving regularly, I started to look again. And I realized that my... that I was giving to God meant that I had 90% left over. And that 90% seemed to go as far as the 100% used to go because it had that God element in it, which was awesome. Do whatever he tells you to do. It's really important. Obedience is really important. When Jesus says to do something, just do it. Whenever I go to conferences and I've been to hundreds of conferences over the years in all over the world and I find myself sat like you're sat there listening to somebody who stood up where I'm stood and they tell stories and they tell stories of encounters with God and encounters with God that change lives and change towns and cities and, and I'm sat there and the one thing that goes through every single talk I've ever heard is that they did what they were told. So why have we not, as a church, impacted this community in such a significant way that we see the whole of our community coming and worshipping together? Maybe there's a point that says we didn't do what God told us to do. It's a simple thing. And it might be something little and might seem insignificant, but as we step out in obedience and doing what he tells us to do, he'll open up other things. And opportunities to completely transform people's lives. I'm trying to do this. Lord, what are you asking me to do here? And in obedience, let's see what we can do together. We need to be hosting conferences where people come and listen to you telling stories. Do you know what? God told me to do this to the next door neighbour. And, and that's a nice thing, not a nasty thing, by the way. I started mowing their lawn. I never spoke to them, but I started mowing their lawn. And then that started a conversation and that conversation has now come to a point where here is my neighbour and they've given their lives to Jesus because I showed something of God's love to them and gave them time and they have come to know him for themselves. Something really simple. Trouble is, my next-door neighbour mows my lawn and I... which is very nice. Do whatever he tells you to do. So this is what happens... There's no big drama about what he's going to do. She just says, mum says to the servants, just tell him. Just do what he tells you to do. And this is what happens. There's nearby stood how many jars? Jesus plus five disciples. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? There's six jars. I like that. I thought that was quite... Just came to me this week as I'm working things out. Stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. So these jars are usually used for washing people's feet. So it's foot water washing, water for washing. And you didn't have rubber gloves then. Okay. So we're not talking about precious drinking water, we're talking about foot washing water. 20 to 30 odd gallons. Jesus says to the servant, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. How long does it take to fill six jars, 180 odd gallons of water. There's no tap. So this is something that everybody is now watching. Everybody's taking notice that the servants are busying themselves, filling up, people must have been saying, what's going on here? All this foot washing water, what's it for? Are we expecting more people? We've already run out of wine. Jesus says to them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them... Do you notice that? He says, then he told them. Where was the prayer? Where was the laying on of hands and and anointing of these water jars? Where was the worship team singing around? You see, what I love about this story is something natural and normal becomes supernatural just because of God's presence. You don't have to big it up in any way, shape or form. God wants to heal, so we don't have to be big and elaborate about praying for healing. We just pray because we believe God wants to heal. God wants to set people free from demonic influence, so we don't have to shout and scream. We just come very simply and speak to that which has no right to be inside someone, to come out. And here in a situation, just fill it up, do what I say, and the thing about it is, when we start to do what God says, the miracles just happen. Here is a miracle happening. No big fanfare. Do this job, and then this is what you need to do. Draw some out And take it to the master of the banquet. Here's one of those really interesting things. It's the point when we say, uh, hang about. I know what I've just put in that jar. And you're now asking me to take it out and take it to the master of ceremonies. This could be a little bit embarrassing. Do you know sometimes that's what Jesus does. He puts us to a place where we might feel a little bit embarrassed about doing what he's telling us to do. I remember my first uh, meeting with our friends from America and, and Dan, I said to him, would you give me a prophetic word? And the word that he gave me was bear. He said, when I saw you and I started praying for you, the picture that I had was of a bear. And I'm thinking, as you've heard here before, you know, that's a grizzly bear, powerful, you know, bear. And he says, no, teddy bear. <laughs> so there's, there's Dan, he's about five foot bearish and never met me before, I'm a big Brit And he's telling me that God's telling me through him that I'm a teddy bear. But actually, how that worked out and the meaning of that was so personal and poignant to me. It was absolutely fantastic. Sometimes God asks you to do something really bonkers. But you know, when you do it, when you speak that word, when something drops into your mind and you think, this isn't for me, I'm going to deliver this to someone else, and God says, do it, it might seem bizarre. But actually, those little steps of faith open up amazing opportunities for encounter. So do it. Just do this. Fill it to the top and take it to the master of the banquet. And there we've got that obedience. Yes, they did it. And the master of the banquet, he tastes the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from. though the servants who'd drawn the water knew Then he called the bridegroom aside. So this is an amazing situation. It wasn't expected. I want to call the main man who this is all about and then I want to praise him and acknowledge to him that he's done something amazing. What you've done is you've saved the very, very best. The very, very best. And, And you see, that's the way that God works. When he touches things, he doesn't make it that'll do. He makes it excessively good. When God comes into our lives, when we invite Jesus to be part of our lives, he doesn't just give us a bit of a buff-up. We get the complete refurbishment, engine, all the parts, respray the works. He, He doesn't hold back. He gives us always the very, very best. When we offer ourselves to God, and we say, Lord, would you have your way in us? He transforms. That's what he does, and that's what he loves to do. And the thing about it is, you see, I, I love the way that so many of the miracles that we read about are deemed as natural. Something's happened in the, the, in the natural. What we've got is water. Here's water in a jar. And it's now turned into wine. Well, you see, that's a, a natural process, you see, because when the rains fall down upon the fields of the... Vineyard. That water goes into the soil. That soil holds the water that is holding together the roots of the vines. The vines drink the water. The water is part of the nutrient carrying capabilities of the plant, and then that plant produces grapes. We pick the grapes, and the grapes put into a thing where they get. trampled on and then there's the natural yeasts on the outside of the grape which started to ferment so what you have is something called a natural process from water into wine it's water encountering a plant the plant growing, producing fruit that fruit harvested which is then able to be made into wine it's how God works and what happens is miracles are I always see them as speeding up of natural processes. The Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, there's going to be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. But every now and then, we have an encounter where God's kingdom comes down here on earth and we see people healed and delivered. We see people who are, are bereavement, bereaved because of loss of loved ones, who find a joy in their hearts because God has encountered them and it's lifted them out of that darkness. You see, miracles are about uh, a speeding up of a natural process. I don't know if you've ever heard um, people talk about Mother Nature. Have you ever done, heard that? People talk about you know, how everything was created and how, Mother Na- how wonderful Mother Nature is. Which is one of those bonkers things that I always find, because um, it's like talking to somebody and saying, looking at your back garden. I talked about my back garden last week. Some people put on gloves. There you go. Let's link it to the children's talk. Some people put on gloves. They put on gloves as they're digging over the garden. And once the job has been finished and the garden's looking amazing and somebody comes round uh, and then they say, look what Mother Nature's done. And it's almost like saying that, that the gloves have done it on their own. Whereas the reality is that the gloves are being worn by the creator. What happens when we are involved in people encountering God and miracles happening? He he clothes himself with us. He, He puts us on, it seems, like a glove. And then he works out his natural processes as he touches and transforms life. The greatest miracles are those miracles when people who are lost and in darkness, come to a place of knowing Jesus, the love that God has for them, and brings them into new life as a new creation. And he gives us the opportunity of being part of that. But what he does is he takes the natural like a glove and places it over himself. We are used like our gloves. Here is a situation where I believe the natural is just being speeded up. We have a speeding up. But we also see around us where God just touches and the nature and the natural around us, with him involved in the core, transforms. Last few moments. Best wine. This is the first of how many? Seven. Seven between now and chapter 11 of John The first of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed in Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. This comes to the point really which is the the closing thought of this morning. Picking out three things. Three things. First of all, this miracle, this turning of water into wine is a sign. A miraculous sign. What do signs do? Signs point to places. You find yourself where you want to be quicker if you follow a sign. We dropped our son off at university yesterday and we were so pleased that there were loads of signs off of the main road saying campus is this way, block is this way and then what was even better, when we get to the block, there's somebody stood there with a map saying, look, you need to go here, here, and here. We find our final destination by following the signs. The signs here are, uh, it's the first sign of clearly showing that Jesus is who he says he is. This is God's son. The first of his miraculous signs, it was an act that pointed to who he was. Signs are really important. And you know, God drops signs into our life day by day that we walk past or we ignore. And my prayer is as we spend time in these, this journey of looking at Jesus, we will be more aware of the signs of Jesus at work in our life and in the life of people around us. First thing to notice about this story, it's a sign. It's pointing somewhere. It's not all about that we must turn water into wine because that would put the, uh, the wine industry out of business in instantly. But it's a sign that says in this situation, God's here and he is at work. The second thing to come out of this is, it reveals his glory. He thus revealed, it says, his, his glory. Now, Go back of the chapter, and this is what it says about God's glory. It says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This shows Jesus' glory, revealing God's glory. Grace and truth come out of this. Where's the grace? Six people turn up at a wedding. Six jars are filled with the best wine. And and I love that, because I don't know if you ever go to a wedding and you think, Giselle, I'll take a toaster. What present are you going to take? And Jesus says, I'm not going to take enough. I'm going to take more than enough. That's God's grace. He always gives more than enough. Abundance. Excessive. He is so excessive towards us. So we have this amazing, glorious grace being shown here. And then the truth that comes out. The truth. He is the one who's in charge of nature. He is the one who's got the hand inside the glove. The truth is that I'm above it all. I am above it all. I am almighty God. Grace, the abundance flowing, and the recognition of here I am. God is here. And then the last point that comes out very, very clearly is the fact that the disciples put their faith in him. It's a funny thing, isn't it? They encountered him, John the Baptist baptized him, he invited them to follow him, and they were following him, so we've got five on a journey that have come along, now they're at a wedding, and here they see something amazing, and they put their faith in him. And we need to just look around one another and just see how God's worked in our lives the miracles that he's brought into each and every individual who's put their trust in him and then acknowledge, God, you do a good job. You do a good job. For what I'm seeing in this person's life, I believe. For what I'm seeing in this situation, I believe. And I'm going to walk with you with even greater intimacy than I ever done before. Three things come out. This is a sign. It reveals his glory, but it also ushers in individuals making a commitment to follow. Let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this brief look at this simple event a day in Galilee, a wedding place where there was such fun excitement promise and you transformed it help us Lord to find in this story a meaning for our own lives knowing that the one without a word without any pomp or showmanship transformed silently, quietly, with dignity, the water of that day into wine. Thank you, Lord, that you take our ordinary, everyday lives and transform them, making them rich, full of body, tasty. We thank you that... You're in the business of transformation. And we say, will you do that? As we do what you tell us to do, as we are aware of what you're leading us into, would you bring about that transformation that ultimately, Lord, that we look more like you? In Jesus' name, amen.